0: Okay, man, it's so good to be together. Today we start a new series. It's four weeks together on, um, if I could say, our mental health. Mental health is all the conversation in our world today because of the traumas of the last two years, and now in our own community, this is going to be a great time together. Fear. Anxiety, doubt, depression, despondency, anger. These are all complex issues that touch all of our lives. And we are complex human beings. We are physiological, we are intellectual, we're emotional, we're sexual. We're a complex of all of these facets that make up shared humanity. And in our shared humanity, we experience these things together in a complex, but no one is without these facets of what it means to be human. Add to that that in our complex of humanity, we're broken, we're sinners. And none of those things work the way they were absolutely always intended. We're in need of redemption. And Jesus has redeemed us. He has redeemed us by his grace. But we still live in a broken world with our broken physiology, our broken minds, and our broken sexuality. And God is in the process of sanctifying us those of us who know Jesus, moving us on a pathway to be more and more like him in every area of our life, but that process is not instantaneous, is it? It's a process that we're in. We're all being sanctified by his grace, and the area that we have tended not to say much about is our mental health, the way we think in our mind. We're much more able to think about our physical health, our physiology. In fact, over the last 40 years, we've become very skilled at talking about our physical health. Fifty years ago, it wasn't that much of a thing. But today, we're all aware of what we eat and that we should eat well. And that we should exercise and get enough sleep. It's a big deal how we take care of our bodies. We're good at that. And in fact, when you were uh, an early teenager, you learned how to do first aid. We know how to take a scratch, clean a scratch, put something on it so it doesn't get infected. We can put a Band-Aid on. Some in the room probably could put a tourniquet on if you needed to. And some of us know how to do CPR. We, we know how to do the physical things well enough to survive in a first aid situation. But when it comes to how we're doing emotionally, mentally, um, we're not quite as skilled at how to be helpful to each other in this area of our life. My hope is that the next four weeks will help us get a little bit better on how to do that. The Christian response to what's going on in someone's head in your life, if you're in a tough spot, you're depressed, you're... You're despondent, you're anxious, you're worried, would be, well, you need to have a quiet time. Oh, you already have one? Um, You need to get up earlier and stay longer. (laughs) And that doesn't help. I believe in a quiet time, I have one. We need to be with God. But that sometimes doesn't help us the way it ought to. Or the other answer would be, well, you need to go see a professional and go get help, and maybe the medication that you need. I believe in professional help. I've had it. I've been around counseling and group therapy and recovery ministries, and I know the benefit of those. But the idea, if that's the answer, is then you have to see an expert. And quite frankly, what I hope you come away from this morning is there are experts in our life, and there are helpful for us. But we're all on a mental health journey. We all are. We're all on a mental health journey because we share this common humanity. And it doesn't freak us out then that we go through times of great need or low times in the valley. That doesn't harm us. When sad things happen, we're sad. And when crazy things happen in the world... We get anxious. And I know that the Bible says be anxious for nothing, but sometimes I get anxious. When the city's on fire, that fills me with feelings that sometimes I need others around me for. So I pray that what might happen in these weeks ahead is that we would understand that we're emotional, spiritual, physiological, sexual, intellectual beings in a complex of what it means to have shared humanity together and that we might learn how to release the help that is available in the congregation among one another as we together experience what it means to be on a journey to walking with Jesus in really difficult times because we are in them. And it couldn't be more blessed for us to have been in this place today to hear people who have suffered greatly say, I'm still clinging to God. It helps us. And I hope it makes every one of us in the room know that behind the present veneer of who we're showing today, we all have pain. We do. Because life is broken and painful. And God meets us in it. So I have two principles I want to just start with this morning. Number one is that despondency is common to all of us. Hopelessness happens to the best of us. It doesn't all happen in the same way, and I'm using the word despondency knowing that there is a level of depression that is deeper, and we don't exactly share it, experience it all the same way or in the same measure, but every one of us knows that we're susceptible to the pain of being discouraged or something far worse. And the second thing I would say, wrapped up in this, is that seasons of despondency are not incompatible with strong faith. It's possible to have faith in God and to be in a season of despondency or discouragement and even, as we'll see in a moment, despair. Now, the problem or the danger with a little series like this for a few weeks is that We might overemphasize the pain that we feel and the suffering that we experience and underestimate God's ability to meet us in it. I don't want to do that. The other danger might be to overestimate the suffering and then try to give pat answers and simple answers as if that would wrap it up, and I don't want to do that either. In the series, it won't be possible to say everything about every certain circumstance except to just affirm we're all sufferers on the journey, and we're all on a mental health journey of like, how are we doing right now in our mind? And God knows that. He meets us in our valley and wants to help us. In fact, I want to just sort of normalize that this is true. We get in these seasons. Does anybody... Disagree? Anybody want to say Amen? Okay, we we have we know what it is to be in this place. You might be surprised that the Bible is filled with people that we think of as our heroes who are in this place. And I thought it'd be helpful if we just looked at a couple of them. So, if you have your Bible, you can turn. I'm going to put most of these on the screen. But Numbers chapter 11, verse 14, we're going to talk about Moses. You know Moses. Moses was called by God to to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt. He led them into Egypt, led them out into the wilderness, and they're in the wilderness together. And they're in the wilderness together, and it's going swimmingly. (laughs) Yeah, not exactly. It's all falling apart. Everybody's complaining because they don't have enough food. They're they're all over Moses. They want to kill Moses. And Moses cries out to God. I am not able to carry all this people alone. The burden is too heavy for me. If you treat me like this, kill me at once. This is Moses to God. Kill me at once. If I find favor in your sight, kill me, that I may not see my own wretchedness. This situation is exposing my insecurity and inability and incompetence, and I do not want to do it. Just blot me out. That's Moses. Moses. Moses who stood up to Pharaoh and said to Pharaoh, let my people go. Moses who orchestrated the ten plagues. Moses who went up to the mountain and met with God and took down the ten commandments. Moses who opened the Red Sea. same guy says, if this is the way it's going, just kill me now. So that's unvarnished Bible about hopelessness is common to a lot of people. How about Elijah? Elijah is a prophet of God, a prophet of God who was called by God to take on the prophets of Baal. And there was in First Kings chapter 18, you can read that episode where Elijah goes before the 450 prophets of Baal, and there's a contest. Who's going to call down fire and burn up the sacrifice? And God comes through, and God delivers fire from heaven after the sacrifice is watered down and just blows up. And the 450 prophets of Baal are killed. And in the next chapter, Ahab the king told Jezebel the queen all that Elijah had done and how he had killed the prophets with the sword, the false prophets of Baal... A great spiritual victory in 1 Kings chapter 18. And Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and more if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. So a great victory over 450 prophets of Baal would have to say that was a good day of ministry. And the next day the queen wants his head and threatens him. So verse 3 says... And he was afraid, and he rose and he ran for his life and came to Beersheba, that belongs to Judah. This his servant there. He, He was afraid and he ran for his life. Wait a minute. This is Elijah, who just stood up to 450 prophets of Baal, and God sent down fire from heaven yesterday, and now this day he runs for his life and he's afraid of a woman? Read into that what you want. No, I'm just kidding you. What am I saying? The, the very next verse, verse 4, what does he say? But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, came, sat down under a broom tree, and he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord. Take my life. I'm no better than my father's. What just happened? This is Elijah, spiritual victory, ready to quit. How about Job? You know the story of Job. You know, Job had everything. He was a righteous man. He was favored with God, and God allowed him to suffer. And in his suffering, at one point in Job chapter 6 and verse 8 and 9, he said, Oh, that I might have my request, that God would fulfill my hope, that it would please God to crush me, that he would let loose his hand and cut me off. Job! Now, you could understand, maybe, because you say, you know how much he lost, he suffered so much, that he would say, That's enough. I'm ready to die. Just let God take my life and let it be over. This is Job, the same one who, a few chapters later, in chapter 13 or 15, says, Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. But in this moment, he'd had enough and he said, that, That's it. I'm done. Jeremiah, a great prophet of God, who spoke the word of God to Israel. At one point in Jeremiah chapter 20 he says, Cursed be the day on which I was born, that my mother bore me. Let that day not be blessed. Cursed be the man who brought the news to my father, Our son's born to you, making my father very glad. And this is a man who's down. Let the man who brought word to my father be like the cities that the Lord overthrew without pity. Let him hear a cry in the morning and an alarm at noon because he didn't kill me in the womb so my mother would have been my grave and her womb forever great. What? Prophet of God? At such a place? And then the last verse, why did I come out of the womb to see this toil and sorrow and spend my days in shame? Why do I have all this turmoil? You ever been there? You ever been in a place where you just said, why am I in this? I have. God sometimes allows us to experience the crucible of suffering at a place where you say, this makes no sense whatsoever. Why am I even here? Why should I keep doing I just want you to see that the suffering of of the mind and a soul distraught has a commonality to people even of faith who go through crucibles that become part of what God uses to awaken an awareness of what otherwise would not be known about a God who loved us so much that he suffered more than any of us to bring us to him. Do you get that? Part of the reason that we're in the crucible that crushes our soul and our mind is to awaken in us an awareness that there is a God who loves us so much he was willing to taste suffering on our behalf to bring us into relationship with him, and that's Jesus, the great sufferer, who through his suffering brought us to God. Let me see if I can help you with one more great hero of the faith, David. Let's read until the semicolon. My soul is cast down within me. This is David The great king of Israel, the shepherd, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. But in this moment, writing this psalm, he said, my soul is cast down within me. Let me see if I can picture it for you with my body. My soul is cast down within me. What's the next line? therefore i remember you my soul is cast down therefore i remember you when we're depressed despondent discouraged despairing our world shrinks to our world and what helps us most is a bigger view of God. So David just says I I remember you. It's very hard to do alone. It's hard to do alone. So what happened this morning in the worship service where people who have suffered have said God's still good helps us. Because when we're downcast, All you can see is this. But if you can get to remember God, then some of this suffering takes perspective. It's not an easy answer. I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. It's a walk. It's a journey. It's not an easy answer, but we, we have faith in the one who suffered ahead of us. Right? Yeah, that's true. David helps us. Few things help us know a better view of God than what we did this morning, hearing the people of God and the scriptures who tell us who god really is objectively not apart from experience excuse me i've made my nose run i need to blow my nose <laughs> the scriptures are, are the objective truth of who god is so when we said over the years that our experience Sometimes we interpret God through our experience. And if we're suffering badly because of fire or COVID or politics or family stress or divorce or kids on the run or whatever it is, we tend to look through our circumstance and then interpret God through them. And the gift of understanding my suffering is to really switch that around and know who God is and look at who God is. And remembering Him sort out my things. And if you've gotten that switched, then remember God and know Him and know that He is acquainted with sorrow. He is near to the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. He does that because He was that. Jesus, our broken Savior. I said my dream of this four weeks together is that we would help one another because we're all on this journey. But in the journey, none of our experiences are wasted. God doesn't waste your pain, but he has a mission for it. I can't tell you how many people in this church have said to me, Tom, if you ever need someone to talk to someone who... And then they share their experience. I I lost a child. I'm a recovered alcoholic. If you need me to speak to someone that you know who's a recovered alcoholic, I'm, I'm there. I'm living with someone with Alzheimer's. Do you know anybody who's been there? Well, yeah, and this is, this is what the Bible calls us to do. If we're all human on the journey together, then Romans chapter 15 and verses 1 through 3 help us here. It says simply this, we who are strong have an obligation to bear the failings of the weak and not to just please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up, for Christ did not please himself. Now the strong and the weak are simply those who are um, able to bear burdens and those who at this point are not able to bear burdens, they're weak. And the idea here is simply this, we ought to bear the weakness of those who don't have strength right now to carry their burden, to carry a weight, to shoulder by loving and helpful actions. It is incumbent upon all of us to help the weak, to help those who are suffering, not to just endure with them or to tolerate them, but to help them. And to help them in what way? To build them up. I think that aligns very closely, to help them see that God is who he says he is and that he can be trusted. To build them up to believe that God is who he says he is. To build them up not fix them up. Everybody? With me on that? Someone's weak, you don't need to straighten them out. You don't need to fix them. You need to be with them and build them up. Not just pleasing ourselves, but pleasing and serving one another. That's Jesus. That's what he did. And that's what I pray happens in our church increasingly. I've seen it. I see it now. But if you're in a place and you feel like you're under the pile, the world's on top of you, I want you to be around this church. I want you to join a life group. I want you to click in where you can because this is where some of the help comes that God administers to those who are down. One, it's common to all. And all of us at one time or another are going to be in it. I thank God that I've been helped by the faith of those who this week lost everything and gave glory to God. One of our members who lost his house said, I have a new life verse. I can say with Paul, I have suffered the loss of all things. But God is so faithful. That's what he said. God is so faithful. God is greater than our suffering. He's not absent in our suffering and he's experienced suffering to bring us to him. Maybe you're just saying to God, how long, O Lord? Well, for this time, you are here this morning that you might be strengthened by the, the reality that your experience is not alone. This is my prayer for you. Later in chapter 15, verse 13, says this. May the God of hope fill you eventually, with all joy and peace and believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. It's a God work when we suffer. God works when we suffer. God is at work through his Holy Spirit. It doesn't come like a light switch. It comes as we walk in the journey. But don't give up. Come in. Let's pray together. God, I pray for anyone who's here today who is under the weight of suffering and loss and it just feels like all hope is gone. I pray that our remembrance of Jesus, a man of sorrows, be a hopeful foundation for us as we walk in the valley today. And may it be that those with strength today would be near those who have hurts today. May those who have much come alongside those who have lost everything, those who are isolated May they be drawn in so that this communal experience of journeying with Jesus would be a strength for us. And may it be seen to those who have yet to come to know Jesus, would come to see how amazing he is, that the marvelous Jesus would suffer losses that are unthinkable and so undeserved in order to bring comfort to those who suffer in other ways. So it's to Jesus we look today and we just say, how how marvelous you are, Jesus, that you who experienced the worst are near to those who are broken in other ways. So be near to us today. Lift up the hearts to see a new vision of God For those who are downcast today, I pray for this in the powerful, hopeful, steady name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Let's stand together. Mm you. If you need help, if you want to pray with someone before you leave today, we'll be here at front. And the cafe's open. I hope you'll encourage one another. Somebody needs um, a loving hug. And I'll give that out today. Let's love each other. Father, I pray as we go that you will give us your strength in our journey with Jesus. I thank you that you never leave us or forsake us wherever we are. On the ascent to glory, you are with us. I pray you'll give hope to the one who's downcast and um, give love to the one who's on top of it all that we might share each other's burdens. And Lord, I thank you that you are near to our hearts. We draw near to you. And we give you our thanks together for being in this place today in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, see you next week. Thank you.